What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I'm here with my co-host, Dave Martinson. Dave, I mean, we were expecting to have a pretty big music week this week and it got a little bit lighter this Sunday. I'm wondering, what's your reaction to Yandi not dropping as expected? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, can't get fooled again. Nah, <laughs> I'm not surprised, man. Come on. We we literally said up with the lead if it drop if he drops it if it's real yep. yada yada sure enough uh, not a word and then Kim tweets today oh yeah Black Friday whatever yeah November twenty it's out when it's out but it's worth the wait I promise with like fifteen emojis uh, honestly it's probably not even recorded yet knowing him yeah I mean it's possible <laughs> I saw some people saying today that you know. With all the backlash, and I mean, Kanye went on these pro-Trump rants talking about the 13th Amendment on Twitter, talking about just some ignorant stuff, honestly. Not even so much his political viewpoints, but just like the way he was talking about He doesn't about have any political and, viewpoints. I mean, basically his political viewpoint is that, well, he supports Trump because he believes Trump will bring jobs to America, which will then help people who are coming out of institutions be more successful upon re-entry mm. into society has he actually ever communicated that that I, that, that was what because all i ever hear is that he's an ideas man <laughs> we all un- unify together and it's not like he has any like real rhetoric or policy takes at least not that i've heard i don't think his uh, bid for 2020 is going to go so well but he he might be in trump's cabinet for all we know we don't know what's going to happen with the administration or with kanye what we do know is yandy's supposed to drop november 23rd and we'll be talking about it today though we're going to be talking about your guy Logic, Little Wayne's comeback, American Vandal season two wrap up after we talked about the first episode last week, and then Insecure season three. I binged it to get caught up for this finale, and goddamn, what an experience! So I'm excited to talk about it. But why don't we start with Young Sinatra four? Man, your guy Logic last year. I didn't realize this. He had the fifth biggest opening weekend for a rap album in 2017 with his album everybody yeah man he got really fucking famous behind jay-z eminem drake and kendrick four of the most established artists in the game three of those that are well i guess drake's not a legacy act quite yet but he's getting there and drake and kendrick are the two biggest acts in hip-hop right now logic's been around a while but he hasn't been that famous as long but he's 28 it's not like he's super young or anything but i mean he's been around the block but I didn't I didn't realize that he had kind of catapulted to this level of fame, especially because everybody I think we thought was a, a decent album, but it wasn't didn't blow us away. It wasn't something we were like, I mean, th- there was a lot of cringe on there. Yeah, we didn't like at all, you know, and all the weird Neil deGrasse Tyson bits and shit. Like, right. I wasn't a big fan of it as a fan of Logic for some time. And we reviewed that. And then we also reviewed. Bobby Tarantino 2, his mixtape from earlier this year, I want to say it was in March. Yeah, March 9th. And last year, everybody was his more conceptual album, but also, you know, radio stylings. Obviously, the 1-800 song, you know, was a top top five hit. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, Bobby Tarantino 2, that was his trap flavorings. Right. And I think we liked a lot of that. There was some stuff that we weren't too high on just because leaning too far into like mimicry of other people in the game. It's kind of off-putting, I think, when Logic is doing it. Not that he's ever really bad at stuff, but I don't need to hear him do his Travis Travis Scott bit, you know? I'd rather just listen to Travis do that. Right. But, you know, that leads us to Young Sinatra 4, which I was not expecting him to... I mean, this is the first time he's released two projects in the same year. He usually releases almost one a year. He's been pretty prolific and consistent with that, but I didn't expect this new 
this new mixtape so soon, let alone a, another Young Sinatra project, because those are the first mixtapes I ever heard from him, and that's really where he first started to blow up. So it was quite the surprise once we realized this was coming out earlier last month. With your point to some of the cringeworthiness and some of the parts of everybody that people didn't like, um, I almost wonder if that kind of catapulted this this forward for him or he was more inspired to try to work on another young Sinatra project because this is really like a, a kind of a classical hip-hop album in a way I mean there's a he he obviously is nodding towards a lot of his influences in terms of the sounds on the track I mean even some of the samples and the shout outs he gives he has a whole song with every member of Wu-Tang on it I mean like literally every member yeah it's fucking awesome it's insane so uh, I Whatever it is that kind of propelled this, I'm glad that he's kind of getting back to his roots. There's a lot to like about this album. I guess I'm wondering, why don't we just start with Wu-Tang? I mean, I know that that's like like the the centerpiece of this and why everybody, is, even if you're not a Logic fan, the hip-hop fans are, are talking about it. What did you think of this like nine-minute track with Wu-Tang just crushing it? Yeah, no, I'm... Dying back a second. You, you spoke to, you know, this Young Snatcher 4 has... You know, obvious boom bap production, old school. You know, this is what Joey Battis came up doing. And this is also what Logic was doing on those first few Young Sinatra tapes, you know, freestyling over Biggie beats and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And to hear him go back to do that, I just, it was, it was really cool because while the whole tape isn't like this, when you do hear him, you know, going over that 90s, late 80s production, it's just really cool. And, it shines no brighter than on Wu-Tang Forever, where it gets literally everyone in the clan, minus the late ODB, of course, but even, like, uh, Jackpot Scotty Waddy, you know, like, one of the Wu-Tang Killer Bees, like, an affiliate member, not someone in the full clan. You hear him talk about this, and he's like, yeah, I just hit up RZA. He's been cool with RZA for a minute, and RZA's actually someone who really influenced him uh, from the Kill Bill soundtrack, actually. He actually mentions this on the tape, but he's talked about this before, yep. where RZA helped uh, Logic get into rap and then where that's where he found you know Nas and a tribe called quest and everyone else and he's hit up risen risen's like yeah man it's done he said to ask and you listen to a lot of these verses from from the clan and i shouldn't say the clan sounds bad yeah. from, uh, from wu-tang and you know a lot of them they're like referencing logic a lot of them are like really current verses they weren't these weren't just like verses they had like you know in the vault ready like we reviewed uh the saga continues the mm-hmm. compilation Wu-Tang album from last year, which we liked quite a bit, mm-hmm. but that was clearly just an album of verses and songs and song structures they just kind of had, just kind of put it out, right? Yeah. But this, I mean, this sounds like, I mean, obviously, I'm sure some of these verses are a little old, but a lot of them sounded really contemporary. Like, um, I mean, one of one of them, this is uh, The Weeknd, you know, there's a Starboy jab. I thought that was pretty funny, and uh, Weeknd himself even tweeted about it. He's like, oh, he's calling me out. Who knew? You know, so obviously, that was cool, like, poking beef for no reason, but I, I really liked it just because Logic has always endeared himself to uh, you know rap rap rappers favorite rappers right like Lupe someone we reviewed mm-hmm. last week like drove us wave quite a bit Stay Lupe plugging. has talked about uh, Logic's strength so much he says Logic's a better you know technical rapper than Kendrick and I think in a lot of ways he, he might be mm-hmm. but it's just cool seeing that a lot of these OGs really respect Logic's ability technical ability when he's actually doing that kind of music and not making, you know, radio songs. And the fact that they all came through with this and mm-hmm. uh, fucking Ghostface just starts it off. It's fucking, it's just really awesome. And the beat's great. And they, I mean, they even give you the, you know, the, 
the the Shaolin shadow boxing Wu Tang sword style. Like it's just such a classic Wu Tang song. Yeah. It, it, it's it's really epic. It's eight minutes long, and I've listened to it a lot. Which if anyone who knows me knows I don't like long songs. Mm-hmm. So I was blown away. <laughs> yeah, I think the the most impressive thing about the the song i mean logic's very smart he does like a pretty brief verse and just kind of lets them take over and the way that that they sound they sound almost like invigorated and i mean even Mm -hmm. though we liked the the wu-tang i guess album compilation album however you want to describe it they kind of just put these songs together but it seemed like they were maybe older this scene this sounds like man they they still got it like i want to hear them actually put out something new where they're they're in the shop chopping Mm -hmm. it up you know um but yeah, obviously, great. I mean, a great song. Wu-Tang, I mean, it's epic just to have all the members together, like you said. Um, we we could probably go on and on about it, but why don't we jump to some of the other songs that we liked on this? Mm-hmm. Probably my favorite is the next song, 100 mm-hmm. Miles and Running. I mean, when I was listening to the album, I was kind of listening while doing some work, and I literally like stopped and just was like bobbing along to it, because not only does Logic and Wale, they, I mean, they, they tear it down on this, but Logic at the end, I mean, he he puts Eminem almost to shame with how fast and how technical he is on some on some yeah. of his raps. I was like, damn, he's fucking on fire right now. And it, that's what's cool about the song is that if only Eminem knew this, <laughs> right. if you did this once in a while, people would be more receptive mm-hmm. to it because it's still cool and impressive when you rap at that speed and and ferocity, right? Yeah. But I was like, oh wow, yeah. I, my first thought was. Sounds like modern Eminem. Yep. I'm glad the whole album isn't like this, mm-hmm. or mixtape isn't like this. But yeah, no, that was cool. A cool DMV connection, too. Wale and Logic uh, joined together. Well, and it was a shout out to what Wale's like third mixtape, which is 100 Miles and Running. His name is. Yep. Or the mixtape. Oh, yeah. So um, cool shout out there. I also really thought it was cool that he had a last call. And then he was just like, yeah, the first time I heard Kanye's last call, I thought this was so that was so fucking cool. So I wanted to have one of my own. So here we go. I was like, yeah, like it is. A, it's a great fucking way to end college dropout. And I think it fits perfectly with this album. And it's it's a pretty well told story. I think he does a great job on it. He keeps it compelling. Um, I don't know. I also liked the production on, it, on a couple of the earlier songs. I think Everybody Dies is one that stands mm-hmm. out, especially with those horns sure. blaring. It's pretty, uh, even though the ending, maybe his, the verses aren't so compelling, I still think just the production on it is really, really yeah. good. Starts really hot, too, yeah. for sure. Absolutely. Well, yeah. What stood out to you? What did you like? I thought Street Dreams 2 was cool. That was, that kind of reminded me of like Under Pressure Logic, his first album, mm-hmm. where, you know, really lyrical, really trying to weave and tell a detailed story. And, I thought Under Pressure was kind of an up and down album, um, even though it had a lot of those dense highs like that. And this song kind of reminded me of that. I thought it was pretty good. It's interesting though that like you know there's the Wildly Knot, the obvious Wu Tang more than a nod, the Kanye Knot at the end, and then like even something minor like like yeah he's he'll call out mumble rappers because he doesn't think they'll last and right. he thinks he's better than that. And short sure, fine, but he also does a song with Jane Smith, mm-hmm. or you know not really a song with him, but he flips Icon, which was. An interesting flip. I didn't I almost didn't didn't sound like Icon at first until I started listening. And then he does he basically does a I wouldn't say he was off beat, but I thought he was just kinda, you know, do exactly like Jane's flow and just kinda freestyle over it, but it didn't. He just kinda like took the beat for himself. I thought that was pretty cool. The things I didn't like was and one of these songs we we had heard for a while, but there's two logic radio hits or radio attempts on here one day 
with Ryan Tedder and then uh, the song with Haley Steinfeld, Ordinary Day. And I was like, Logic is not a good singer. And when he does that, that stuff is just like, I just can't listen to it. I just think it's bad. I think the Ryan Tedder song in particular is pretty egregious. Um, they remind me of the Marshmallow song from uh, Bobby Tarantino 2 earlier in the year. It's just like, this is just bad. I'm not a fan. Earlier in the mixtape, he's like, I do it for the, the boom bap, the trap, and the radio. And I think those that's the order of the quality of his, his genres. Yeah. Boom bap obviously is his best stuff. The trap is pretty good usually mm-hmm. in the radio. Eh, it's usually not good, you know. <laughs> I, so, I do gotta that's what say I thought though, of those songs. Ryan Tedder sounded like Bruno Mars crooning on that shit. Even though I don't, th- I don't know if the song is good. I, I literally had to check. I was like, did he get Bruno to, to sing on one of these songs? Like, it, it, it tricked me for a minute. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think the the lows are are low, but they're not egregious. Only two though. songs. It's yeah. fine. The weed song's pretty funny too. He talks a lot of shit on this album. He he knows where he stands, and I appreciated the the braggadocia on it. So I think we're gonna say YS four, YSIV, Young Sinatra four is gonna get a, a thumbs up from Nostalgia Pod and check out whatever song we choose to put on there. I'm thinking I don't know if Wu Tang Forever will that be the one you want to put on there? Well, we already have Everybody Dies on there, so we'll pick, put something else as well. But yeah, check out our Spotify playlist. Over 100 songs of the year. Nostalgia Best of 2018. The Carter 4 was what? 20, 2014, right? Carter 4? No, 2011. 2011. And then the Carter 5 was supposed to come out in 2014. Yeah, something like that. We saw we first saw this album art back then. This is the original album art he first teased, surprisingly. Then Birdman and Lil Wayne had their falling out over some contractual issues that no one really <laughs> can totally understand what happened. Uh, Little Wayne money. was in creative prison i think he described it and then they, they kind of figured things out but we still didn't get the carter five for a while and then all of a sudden little wayne 2018 dropping the carter five dave how are you feeling just about little wayne dropping an album in 2018 it's been a while since we had heard anything really good from him yeah i think that's the point it's not like you know even though the carter five had been locked you know whatever locked away whatever it's not like we hadn't heard Little Wayne music. We'd heard that Free Weezy album from 2015. We'd heard Dedication 6 last year, with then he re- re- kind of re-released it at the top of this year, and those projects more or less suck. There's very little <laughs> to like on those. Even I'm Not a Human Being 2 from 2013, I think, is pretty bad. And even the Carter 4 was pretty bad. And we just haven't had good Little Wayne in quite a long time. I really wasn't expecting much, nor was I didn't think much of the moment, because it's like, why am I supposed to think much has much changed? You're telling me the albums, the music that he made a few years ago is supposed to radically change my opinion from the music he just released? Little Wayne was already making bad music a few years ago, so I don't care what the title of the album is. So it wasn't like a big monumentous occasion to me, but I'm clearly in the minority, because this album's going to go number one, it's going to sell a lot of records, and everyone's very excited to listen to it on Friday. Yeah, and you know, especially for people our age, I mean, when the Carter 3 dropped, it was a monster. It was nominated for Album of the Year. It won the Grammy for Rap Album of the Year. It was uh, top 10 in a lot of uh, sites and magazines, uh, best albums of the year. I mean, it was it was a monster. and it was, It's undeniable. You go back and you listen through, there's, there's a lot of hits on there. But w- with the drop-off, I, I mean, Wayne held a, a very... Um, I don't know, especially that late 2000s into the early teens, he held like a very interesting place because I don't know if people would have said he's the best rapper alive or even the most creative, but maybe the most fun, maybe the most 
Plenty of people said he was the best at his peak. I mean... Because it was during Jay-Z's right. lull. And then, you know? And Kanye was kind of just doing his weird 808s and uh, right, right before he dropped My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. So, yeah, I guess that, that would make sense. He probably was considered the best for that those couple of years. Mm-hmm. That's also when Eminem was away, you know, with his drug problems. So he definitely occupied uh, the top tier for several years. I'm going to have to check out what, what Shea Serrano says was, was the top rapper for that year. I know he's got all those figured out but but then he fell off like i don't want to say pretty quickly but it was a pretty like slow roll i mean he had that um it wasn't doing those songs with kevin rudolph or something like that (laughs) like well kevin rudolph was signing the cash money that was why yeah he had those two songs kevin Rudolph. that that was um, terrible i felt like that was the the, shay serrano in the uh the book of rap yearbook yearbook. has a millie 2008 which a millie was probably the most influential song from uh Carter three, and that really kind of pioneered the sound of rap you moving forward. And you know, at that time too, I mean, remember Little Wayne shepherded Drake into the world, mm-hmm. which is yeah, just feels like ancient history at this point, given Drake's in his early thirties. Yeah. And but yeah, I mean, you know, that so far gone uh, comeback season era Drake, and that was back when he was just part of the team. Remember, it was Little Wayne, Drake, Nicki. They're all under Birdman. Heck, they even brought Tyga in when Tyga first started popping. Like, qu- quite the moment, you yeah. know, in the pre pre modern music consumption age. And now with the Carter Five, and you, you said it's going to go number one. It's doing crazy numbers. People are very excited for this album. Um, what did you think? Does this deserve to be a number one album? Especially when we talk about such a strong project from from Logic coming out. Um. I mean, Logic's had a few number ones already, so I'm not, you know, worried that that that, and I'm actually more happy that Brockhampton got number one album for the previous. Oh week. hell yeah, hell yeah, man! Over a hundred thousand, um, which is nice to see. But yeah, I mean, Lil Wayne, when there's something so hyped for someone who is so popular and used to be so big, it's gonna go number one. It's just again baked into fans. We saw this with Eminem, mm-hmm. you know, even when Eminem released Revival in December, no one was excited about the album. Still went number one. Doesn't really mean much when you're that famous, right? Um. But no, I think, uh, you know, I think it's getting overhyped. People kind of living in the moment with it a little too much. But, you know, it's his best album. I think it's his best album since the Carter Three. His best project since probably Sorry for the Wait, um, which was one of his mixtapes from, I think, 2011. Um, and it's it's listenable. And it, it mm-hmm. has good, really good moments. Of course, it's way too long. But, yeah, it's a lot better than almost everything he's released since 2010. So... I think that that that's a pretty good endorsement considering where he was at. It's it's in it's actually really funny. I was thinking the other day because we had this Logic album which ran like an hour fifteen. We had this car this uh, the Carter Five ran ninety minutes. Lupe was over ninety minutes last week. I was like, man, it, back in June we were listening to twenty seven minute albums, twenty minute albums, and we were like. Huh, okay, perfect. Like <laughs> that's good. Give me a taste and get out. And now these guys are dropping three times that. But yeah, no, I agree with I agree with you. I think there there's a little bit too much hype around this. I don't think it's a you know album of the year, any 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 kind of talk like that. It's it's better than I expected. I'll be mm-hmm. honest about that. I didn't really have high expectations for this, but I do think there's a lot of listenable Same. songs and there's a lot of moments. I think where different features wane at, at, at points really pop out and I, I say wow there's really moments that i think you can take away and say that that's an awesome music moment for the year like nikki on dark side of the moon 
singing. I yeah. I didn't know that she had that kind of range. I was I was taken aback. I had to double check see who it was. Should have brought it back more for Queen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Kendrick killed it on Mona Lisa. You know, I don't think I actually like that song that much. No, it's not it's not a great song, but Kendrick still killed it's it. It's a really impressive uh, verse and it's like really like weird the way that mm-hmm. it's a you know, it's really a concept song more than anything. But I've listened to it a few times and I'm like I don't think I'm gonna download this. <laughs> I'm not actually thinking I like it that much, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah. It's not a phone in verse, that's for sure. <laughs> no, definitely not. I thought the song with Snoop Dogg um, was was really fun sounding, and, and Snoop blends into it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, like Ashanti's on this. Um, I think she's used really well yeah. in her moment, too. Didn't need Mac Main, <laughs> but Ashanti was good. Uh, so I mean, just kind of looking through, there were moments that I thought. What did you think of Travis's verse? Yeah, so another solid Travis verse, nothing, nothing mm-hmm. out of the ordinary. But I, what was cool about it to me was that it definitely sounded like you know it was a Travis verse from a few years ago. It sounded like it was a Birds in the Trap session, hmm. Travis, and similar to the, the the way the cadences Kendrick was bringing out Mona Lisa definitely feel more to Pimp a Butterfly than say Damn Eric Kendrick. Sure. So I thought even if I didn't you know love those songs per se. I think that's just cool because the nature of this project that it was gestating for so long out of Little Wayne's control, you get these time capsule verses <laughs> as a result. Even even if it's really just those two, I think it, I, that immediately jumped out to me. I thought that was pretty cool. I think something I didn't actually expect really from Little Wayne is, you know, he flipped Dr. Dre's explosive on a dope hitters, mm-hmm. and then he uh, flips G-Rep's special delivery on uproar. I thought that was really cool because Little Wayne... Uh, Hasn't done a whole lot with like retro, uh, old school songs in quite some time. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. Didn't expect that. Um, and I think that kind of speaks to, you know, granted, this is the way we're talking about here, but he definitely put in effort into this album more yeah. than I expected. Like the stuff with his mom. I mean, there's some dark moments on this talking about some of his struggles. Some Not, not a lot of this was n- new information mm-hmm. to us, but, you know, again, I didn't expect him to actually, you know, do that. So. I think he gets brownie points for that. Were there any songs with just Wayne, maybe Uproar, that you found yourself really enjoying? I think Dedicate's pretty good. But yeah, I mean, I think the album blends together. That's kind of the issue with Wayne these days is the production just sounded, for the most part, pretty modern. So Mm -hmm. nothing really jumps out like that unless, again, it's weird song structure things like they did on Mona Lisa. So... I, again, I think it's more like the Carter Four than people want to admit, but it's a lot better than the Carter mm-hmm. Four, you know. So at the end of the day, it's just you know it, it has that it's like a Louisiana flair on yeah. um, Atlanta trap. Also, shouts to uh, I might say her name wrong, Regina Carter, Regina Carter, um, yeah. which is his oldest daughter, and I thought mm-hmm. she sounded pretty good on, on the the chorus of Famous. So. Um, you know, it's interesting because I, th- I think he tried to make this a, a really personal album um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, brought in a lot of people on this. And like you said, the gestation periods, the 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 newness of some of the songs with some of the, the, the time capsule 2014 uh, sections makes this an interesting listen. But overall, um, I, I don't think this will go down as one of Lil Wayne's better projects. Yeah, I think the takeaway should be that Little Wayne is still capable. Right. And, you know, maybe we shouldn't write him off just yet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll give him that. He, he's always been, you know, talented on the mic. So, 
you know, I'm not going to bury him or anything. So again, he exceeded my low expectations. Can you ever imagine Wayne having like a 444? Uh, I'm just trying to think what would his version <laughs> of 444 yeah. be? Because if he had one, that'd be something. I, I, w- I would love to see it. You know, he's always been really good. The, the, the rapid fire punch lines and just unique wordplay. They wouldn't ex- expect anyone else to try and rhyme, but he can pull it off, right? And if he could somehow twist that into like old man sage wisdom mm-hmm. and still do those kind of rhymes, that, that'd be that'd probably be pretty impressive. <laughs> I also, I wasn't paying uh, super attention to all the, the little noises. Did he bring back his uh, his lighter flicker? Oh, of course. Yeah, I was going to say. That, that's, to like, that's like his ad lib. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I, I love that that will always be Little Wayne's like, like sound. I, yeah, I tweeted a gif of a lighter when I was tweeting about oh, right. the album. <laughs> yeah, the, the cartoon later, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah follow Dave at Martin Swagger, me at Sheena World Peace in the pod at Nostalgia Pod. Also, if you're enjoying us, share us with friends uh, at soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod. Stay plugged in. Yeah. And also subscribe on YouTube. Give us a reading and review on iTunes. We appreciate all the feedback and support. We appreciate you. Let's jump to some TV now. Uh, American Vandal Season 2. We talked about the first episode last week of this uh what mockumentary parody yeah parody by tony yeah yesenda and dan peralt two guys from emerson messed around with music videos and funny or die and then they successfully pitched this uh their their show to netflix and got greenlit and that's how they got now two seasons it's a pretty cool story. It, and it's a quick watch, too. You know, they, they do a really good job. I mean, the episodes are usually 27 to 30 minutes long. And they do a really good job of leaving these cliffhangers on each episode. So you just kind of want to keep going, um, which is perfect for Netflix. Um, it, I think it would be, even be good in a week-by-week format. But it's kind of hard to say since we've never really had it that way. It's just overall impression of season two. Did you enjoy it? Where does it where does it fall with you? Better or worse than season one? So yeah, yes, I enjoyed it. I, I still still think the show is uh, incredibly smart in its satire of social media, online life, teen culture, etc. That being said, I didn't like it quite as much as season one because I thought their decision to make it have like a more darker story this time around unintentionally resulted in less laughs, at least for me. I think part of that was that there was no Dylan Maxwell this year. Dylan Maxwell was just a constant source of humor in season season one. And, well, I think season two, I, I liked Kevin McLean and I liked Demarcus Tillman mm-hmm. as uh, probably you know, the two leads yeah. apart from uh, P- Peter and Sam. I just didn't think they brought as much humor. So that, that's kind of where I stand. I still think the show is impressive and I hope they keep it going because it's such a natural uh, fit. Um, for a kind of like anthology adjacent series mm-hmm. where they keep moving around and doing different things. I didn't, they didn't really fall into as many of the pitfalls or, uh, you know, f- framing devices they kind of established in season one. They really tried to twist it around and stuff. And I see the revelations about the various characters at the end. Uh, it's definitely different from what happened in season one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, maybe part of it is that uh, Sam and Peter, they, you know, this wasn't their school, so they didn't have any personal connection to the mass mm-hmm. majority of characters, right. you know, that they were uh, you know, interacting with. So I think maybe that was part of it. They just kind of felt like they were, you know, standing next to the story and not being part of the story. You know, almost like they were just narrators. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, I still think it's good, but it wasn't as funny to me this time. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it had the like the 
funny highs that it usually does. I mean, Dylan in season one is just like the perfect uh, character to be following around. He's so ridiculous, so moody, but just so like such stupid humor in so many ways. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It, but also it drives it home so perfectly with that final scene where they're at the party watching yes. know, the documentary. Like it, it's just so perfect in how they drive the point home while making it funny all the way up until that point. This, I think, uh, Kevin just is such a weird character and you you can laugh at him, but in a lot of ways it's hard to right. not also feel like you're like kind of not, not, not in on the joke. You're kind of watching and just feeling kind of bad for the, this this person and he's not really relatable in any way it's not yeah, lighthearted. I mean, it's it's tough yeah it, you know because kevin w- w- what is kevin's character he created a persona around himself right to fit in you know basically changed who he ninja. was right and then demarcus you know I, I guess it's a little more uh accessible but it's feeling isolated despite being anything but in real life you know right and uh you know, trust things like that. So, I think they're, they're both like well framed, well uh, constructed characters, and I do think they are acted well, but they don't lend themselves to laughs as much. No, definitely not. You know, I I think one thing I did like about this season is that I think they make it pretty inclusive without having to draw attention to it. You know, and we talked I talked about BoJack last last week about how they really touch on different issues going on in society nowadays. I mean, one of the characters at the center of figuring out the mystery of this was a lesbian. And it wasn't even, wasn't even like talked about in any way other than like, Oh yeah, she has a girlfriend. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. made a big deal. It wasn't drawn attention to, which I think is such a great step for um, just TV shows in general. And, and I think it speaks more to like the generation that we're in that for a lot of kids in high school, that's just normal. Now it's not, a big deal like it would have been i think even when we were in high school that might have been a big deal so mm-hmm. um i thought that was really cool representation um just kind of wondering where do you want them to go from here because like you said it wasn't as funny as the first season um, and i think that makes season three kind of a crucial season for them to to make sure that they yeah. keep it funny but that they also keep it fresh yeah and i and i don't think you can ditch peter and sam no well you've already because... established that they're going to be taking all these cases from all around Right, and they've gotten so meta with the in in world mm-hmm. story for them, you know, American Vandal, the the, the the movie or series, whatever it was, right, on Vimeo, and is and I guess you know they're they're your most you know recognizable leads because they're in both seasons. Mm-hmm. So you said to find a way to bring them. I mean, can can you bring them back to their hometown? I guess you can see getting more meta. Yeah, there's obviously more things to poke fun at in terms of online life and teen culture. There's a wealth of that to do. Just got to find a way to frame the story in a sense that they can still have like a deeper meaning. Because you know, they're, not, they're not just it's not just throwaway humor. It's smart humor and well-told stories, but it's also freaking hilarious because they take it so seriously and all that, right? I, so you got to find a way to get back to why season one was funny, mm-hmm. but still be as smart as both seasons. I had two ideas. I'd either like to see them go to college and see how, like, um, them going to a college, Interesting. being pulled into, like, party life and things like that or while trying to solve this mystery kind of impact things. Um, I also like the idea of them getting contracted to do a, like, figure out the mystery of some, like, normal workplace environment, almost kind of like the office in a way, but they're, like, ah, okay. going after people. I-, I would like to see them do something like that just because I feel like that would keep it fresh and 
could they could go in so many different directions with those but um uh, i was just wondering if you had any ideas or anything you would like to see nah college is a good point now that you say that i'm yeah one of the funniest like throwaway lines was in the very first episode when they were you know catching up on what happened to Mm -hmm. peter and sam and it was like yeah someone called us about like a real murder and we called the cops obviously (laughs) you know (laughs) um last question did you see the twist coming at the end nope yeah, I, I never really like looked that far ahead and try and figure it out, but I didn't see it coming. Nope. I was definitely trying to figure it out as they went, um, but I, I knew it wasn't going to be one that they were actually looking at. That's the only thing is, um, yeah. I was like, it, it can't be Demarcus. We spent way too much time with him, you know. Also, probably probably my favorite gag of the whole thing was hot janitor. I just for some oh, reason yeah, that, that was, was really funny. And then when they met him, he's just this major stoner. I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> like. Such a such a good little thing to throw in there for like ten minutes, but yeah, American Vandal, check it out on Netflix. Let's jump to Insecure to finish out the day, season three. Your girl Issa Rae. Dave, why don't you give us a little rundown of, of the first two seasons of Insecure? Issa Rae, she got this show off of her, I think it was a YouTube series, Awkward Black Girl, I think it was called, and Larry Millmore helped her get this show at HBO, and. It's about her playing, you know, fictional character Issa D, and it's in you know South L.A. Inglewood, uh, Modern Times, and it's really just a show about, I guess, the, the lives of late twenties black women, right, and the romantic and lives and friendships they have. And first season's really about her kind of fight, struggling with her relationship with her boyfriend of several years, Lawrence, mm-hmm. played by Jay Ellis, who will be in Top Gun too. Hyped yeah. for that, hell yeah, and then. Season two, you know, she's separated from Lawrence and she's trying, again, trying to fi- find herself and grow and make new connections while Lawrence is also trying to move on. Mm-hmm. And then season three starts off and Lawrence is not in the show for, I think, the first five episodes. Yep. And then he comes back at the end. And I thought he was only going to come back for a cameo like that. I did not expect mm-hmm. them to bring him back into the fold as, a, you know, back as part of the ensemble co-lead or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I didn't see that part coming, but it's... it's uh, been she's a lot i guess a lot and a lot hasn't happened for Issa and molly and everyone through three seasons but uh we're in an interesting place now that uh, lawrence is back in the fold yeah definitely and you know in a way it reminds me of a show like seinfeld or a show like curb where like it's more about like the the stories and the little adventures that they go on and Mm -hmm, i mean like the relationships drive the plot but the plot is only so important. It's more about the characters themselves, um, and I think they. I think the show does a really good job of fleshing out uh, modern twenty-five to thirty-five year olds, um, yep. especially black twenty-five to thirty-five year olds, in a really mm-hmm. like realistic way. Almost, I think, realistic to a fault at times. Like, I just want to see them figure their shit out instead of try something new, be successful for an episode, then fall back into their same patterns. Yeah. Like. I know that that's going to happen, and it's it's more realistic than anything. But at the same time, I find that the most aggravating part is I just want to see Issa figure it out, be successful. Right. Yeah, I think that's uh, people have been bringing that. Whether it's a critique of the show itself is a different thing, but I know a lot of people are getting tired of seeing Molly and Issa, and I guess Lawrence now too, make the same mistakes over and over again, and not seemingly learning from what has happened in past seasons that we've seen that this happen and you'd think they'd have you know they, they learned something it seemed that they established that and it just doesn't have it doesn't go there and it's interesting because it's a show about 
I guess it's a show about romance. You know, I think the promise of the beginning of season three, and I like season three quite a bit, the promise of the season, though, without Lawrence at all, was that it was an opportunity for Issa's character to grow beyond just who she's dating or who she was dating or who she wants to date. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's more to Issa D than her romantic life, and not that that can't be in the show, but just felt like it was driving the plot constantly. Yeah. And I'm just worried that the show in season four will lead back to her getting back with Lawrence as they both finally grow and mature, you know? I think, not that I wanted to see Lawrence back so much, but the arc that they gave him a little bit at the end of season three, you know, he was single, handsome dude, Mm -hmm. slaying (laughs) mad women, right? Just being a single dude. Mm -hmm. And it seems like he's finally growing beyond that, right? You know, he started going to church. Which I thought was which was a pretty funny scene, <laughs> and then now he's dating, uh, you know, someone who actually seems like seriously dating someone, right? Yeah, who's a you know, more accomplished person than just a you know a woman he'd like to smash. So that's interesting to see if he if he'll keep going down that path. But Issa, on the other hand, just seems to keep. I mean, you know, the stuff with Daniel really bogged her down for a while. Now the stuff with Nathan, you know, it's just right. and she starts out what. She's uh, not doesn't have a lot of money working at the nonprofit. Leaves now. She's trying to do more of that stuff. So it's like not a lot of Issa's status has changed. It's not that her character isn't growing, but it just seems like she, again she keeps falling back in the same patterns. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess it's just frustrating to watch at times. Yeah. No. And and even like a character like Molly, who you actually do see have some some character growth um, and development, especially into the season as she's. You know, they, they use therapy as a, a conduit to almost bring that character growth more to the foreground for her and, and kind of highlight the things she's actually working on. But then you yeah. see her fall back into these these frustrating patterns, especially with men. And you're just like, like, God damn it. Like, just stop fucking not, this, this dude who's married. Like, just stop with Dro. I don't want to see Dro. <laughs> fucking Dro, man. Like, yeah, it just seems like Molly, I think Yvonne Orgy is the clear breakout of the show in general. I think she's a magnetic performer. I'm going to argue with and, you on that, but I'll let you finish. Well, there's another break. I, I also like Natasha yeah. uh, Rothwell quite a bit, but she's not in the show enough, unfortunately. Right. But yeah, I think Mo- Molly's mm-hmm. really great. Yvonne Orgy's really great. But yeah, like she just doesn't follow this basic-ass advice, <laughs> and she keeps having the same men problem she's had since season one. Mm-hmm despite the fact that she's a really successful, put-together woman everywhere else, right? right? So it's just frustrating to see her character can't grow beyond that. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the structure, I think uh, Natasha Rothwell is fucking hilarious. Dude. Yeah. And I actually think she actually wrote, uh, co-wrote the finale. I think she's you know, more be- uh, involved beyond the scenes, which is cool, because she's clearly really talented. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I mean, like, Issa's and Molly's friends... You know, we know them, they're recurring cast members, but we still really know them mm-hmm. or how they react to the life. They don't feel like fully formed characters in terms of the relationships they're supposed to have with Issa and Molly, right? Yeah. So I'd love to see a lot more of that in season four. Well, you, you did get to see some of that, um, like the episode with the baby shower and, and seeing sure. the way that, that Natasha Roth- Rothwell's character kind of responds when she feels like she's being replaced by a baby. Um, I thought mm-hmm. it was great. <laughs> Honestly, though, the episode that sold the se- or stole the season for me was the Coachella episode. It was oh. so ridiculous, so great, so funny. And you know, what I didn't expect Nathan's friends to be like recurring characters. Yeah, like um, 
what's the Asian dude's name with the long hair? I don't remember. Asian Bay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone, if you go on hashtag insecure HBO, great Twitter <laughs> Twitter show by the way. Um, and everyone's like, this is the, this this fine ass the one Molly left. All yeah, right, I'll get in line. You know, <laughs> so everyone was saying that. Um, and yeah, I think that that's also like surface level. This show is a great hang just because, again, 30 minutes, like Vandal, short episodes, consistently funny, and also the whole cast is beautiful. Oh. Dude, and it's dude. in it, it's in L.A., so it just it's a great show to just look at the whole time, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, quick, Natasha Rothwell, also in probably one of my favorite movies of the year, Love, Simon, um, as, oh, like, I haven't as seen the teacher yet. who keeps coming in and... and the drama teacher she's fucking hysterical in that too so awesome um yeah she's definitely having a great year Uh, you know i think i think the thing i really really like about this show is that no matter how frustrating it gets how many patterns these people fall back into i still find myself rooting for them and it does a really good job of fleshing all these characters out and showing the things that they really don't do well and also letting you see sides of them that you really like and it makes you almost feel like you really know these characters, oh, which yeah. I think is hard for a 30-minute show to do, but they do it really, really well. Even someone like Daniel, who I know you're saying she was bogged down with him. I think I like Daniel. Yeah, I like Daniel uh, a lot. And like seeing that episode where he's in the club and he's feeling like kind of shy, feeling his career is not going the way he wants. Spider! <laughs> <laughs> um, seeing him with, like, on, with that Nordic shit, wanting those jazz flutes, being all jazzy and shit. Like yeah, man, that's what they do. <laughs> jazz flutes. <laughs> <laughs> like I just thought, like I thought that was great. And for a character who I don't know, Issa has a lot of issues with, and their their dynamic is baffling and something. It's, it's something. <laughs> um, I I thought I think that's probably the most admirable part of the show. So I, I highly recommend it. I'm glad that uh, you told me to catch up on it because uh, it's definitely. I don't know if it's one of the, my favorite shows of the year, but it's it's a really rewarding show to, to be following with. Uh, yeah, for sure. So what what do we got fan. on the docket for next week, Dave? Yeah, next week. Um, Jesus Christ, we have so many fucking movies coming out. <laughs> um, Star is Born, which I'll be seeing on Wednesday. Shout out Boston having those early screenings. Yeah. Uh, Venom. Venom. Yeah. Venom. 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 Thoughts. We'll see how Tom Hardy sounds, uh, at the very least. Um, Old Man the Gun is expanding. We were really hoping to talk about that this week, yeah. but it was only in New York City and L.A., and we were unable to see it yet. The Apparently the final Robert Redford film, and the reviews are, surprise, not surprisingly, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Casey Affleck, Danny Glover, uh, great cast. Yep. Uh, John David Washington from Black Klansman has a small role. So I'm really excited to see that. So I don't know if we'll get to all three of those movies. We'll definitely get to Stars Born and Venom. Hopefully yep. we can talk about Old Man and the Gun as well. If not, we'll talk about the week after. Um, and then music. Let's see. Um, this is 10-5, right? Fuck. 21 Pilots. Yeah. The album Trench is coming out. So we'll be talking about that. That album sure to be number one the following week. Uh, should be big. They've had... About four singles come out. I, I liked. I think I liked one or two of them. So, looking forward to seeing those guys. See what they sound like after massive fame and big world world tour. You know, I'm just interested to see what they have to say now. You know. Yeah. Um, definitely. And then 
TV. Um, the Better Call Saul finale comes out Monday. Uh, so we won't be talking about that till the following pod, but catch up on Saul. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And then a show we won't be watching that comes out Friday, Man the High Castle Season 3. Um, just to show that, I think it'll speak for both of us, where we love the concept, the idea, even the production values, but just did not have interesting characters or storylines, unfortunately. Just a lot of wasted potential for Amazon. Yeah, definitely a, a disappointing uh, show. The first season was okay. The second season I couldn't really get into. Um, yeah, but, I mean, a lot to talk about. The movies in particular are going to be great. Also, I think, I'm trying to see here if I can look it up. I think either Mount Kimby or Mount Year. Yeah, it's Mount Kimby dropped uh, an album in. We talked about their their album from last year. I really liked oh, it. Missed so that one. I might uh sure. might circle back, listen to that, and we'll hopefully be getting to some Word. little known albums in the future. Uh, but yeah, movie season's upon us, dude. This is when the Oscar movie is going to be dominating. Yeah, because um, you know, the, the week we'll be talking about uh, Better Call Saul because we'll be just be missing the finale. We'll also be talking about First Man that comes out <laughs> yeah. the following weekend. So it's going to c- come quick. Yeah, it's it's going to be crazy. So stay tuned to Nostalgia Pod at Nostalgia Pod on Twitter, SoundCloud.com slash Nostalgia Pod on SoundCloud. Uh, and give us a subscribe on YouTube and uh, uh, subscribe on iTunes as well with a rating and review. We appreciate you uh, and we'll catch you next week. Peace out. Yeah.